If your name was Catherine Wheel, would you hate Bonfire Night? Answer me this, answer me this. If the earth hasn't moved, am I doing it right? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. It is time to continue our new regular feature about Agatha Christie's use of obscure words in short (laughs) stories from the 1930s. And you will not be disappointed uh, because uh, last episode, you'll recall, Helen, we all recall... Cornflower, Miss Marple, Cornflower, Cornflower, Miss Marple. We discussed the appropriation, Miss or otherwise, in Miss Marple's Tuesday Night Club. Uh, This episode, it is the turn of Chris who says, the case you discussed centred around the fact that someone wouldn't have eaten trifle in that Agatha Christie short story because they were dieting. A vital plot point. Mm. In the story, Christie doesn't use the term dieting, but instead uses the term banting. Mm. Banting? Banting. Sounds like a sort of reggae artist from the 90s, doesn't it? <laughs> Pato banting. Pato banting. <laughs> <laughs> With my colour TV and my CD collection of Bob Marley. <laughs> Stop poisoning everybody. Chris says, um, I've never <laughs> seen this... <laughs> Chris says, I've never seen this term, banting, used anywhere else, but presumably it was common at the time. Also seems still to be common in South Africa. Loving your work already, Helen. Judging by the Google results. That was a pre-answer. His question is, Helen, and answer me this where does the term banting come from is it anything to do with frederick banting who discovered insulin no it is named after his distant relative william banting get away <laughs> i won't <laughs> it's a specific diet though rather than a term for all dieting it's okay. essentially the atkins diet but a century before isn't that interesting because you know since atkins passed away uh, and that seemed to do something to dent interest in his miracle diet uh, people have come up with other diets that are essentially the Atkins diet, but called something else, haven't they? Yes. Interesting well, to know that's been going on for centuries. Yes. Yeah, so, so Banting, uh, William Banting, uh, was an undertaker, and oh, um, I don't think he'd get a book deal now. I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe he'd get a regular spot on This Morning or something because he was quite a tubby undertaker. He used to wear a corset because uh, he was ashamed of his body. I'm still not seeing the tubby undertaker next to the naked chef on bookshelves. And um, he tried so many different ways to lose weight he tried starvation diets which made him gain weight he tried having three turkish baths a week which did make him sweat out six pounds but Mm. then the weight loss stopped Mm -hmm. william banting he tried vigorous exercise but that made him hungrier and so he went to the doctor and the doctor made him cut out bread potatoes sugar milk and beer so william banting started eating non-starchy vegetables meat a lot of meat because this was like mid-victorian time so it was like grouse for breakfast the grouse diet (laughs) yeah again not in fern cotton's cookbook (laughs) (laughs) uh had some fruit and a little bit of dry toast that was more carb than in atkins and i think less fat and then he could have a tot of gin or sherry but not one of the starchy boozes See, i love the sound of victorian dieting or as we're learning to call it banting but at the same time i guess all those people did die at 50 even the people who were looking after themselves by only having one tot of gin a day. <laughs> but they'd eaten enough meats for four lifetimes. Yeah, I suppose. You both had, at some point, um, gone on diets like that, haven't you? Mm. I'd try and think about it more as uh, not eating processed food. Well, if you'd been William Banting, you would have written that up into a hit booklet, yeah. Letter on Corpulence, addressed to the public. This is brilliant. I had no idea that this kind of thing happened before about 1930. Yeah, no, this was 1863, I think, that pamphlet was published. And he didn't ask to be paid for it because he, he felt it was a public duty to share this cure for obesity. Oh. And he gave the profits to hospital charities. Nice so, guy. top-selling booklet, could have made a load of money, unrelated to the word banter. Hi, Helen and Ali and Martin the Soundman. This is Ben from London. My question is, we're in party conference season. 
Who pays to go to party conferences? Do local uh, party representatives get to claim it on expenses from the party? Do MPs put it on their parliamentary expenses? Does it all go get chalked up to the central party or to some sort of corporate sponsor? Inquiring minds want to know, and I think you're the people to find out. Thanks. MPs do not get to claim it on their parliamentary expenses um, because it is. <laughs> oh, and moats are fine. <laughs> because it, well, no mo- moats weren't fine. To be fair, Helen, that they is what caused the scandal. Time. They were overlooked. I mean, I think to be fair, like a duck house is inherently non-party political, so there's no bias involved. <laughs> exactly. With the... So the argument for the duck house, American listeners will not know what the hell we're talking about now. Are we talking duck house of commons or duck house of lords? Stop it. Because they usually have both, don't they? Uh, was that you are permitted to have a second house, which you furnish uh, up to an acceptable standard to which you are accustomed if you are a parliamentary MP living away from home, because that's government business being an MP. Whereas going to a party conference is not government business, it is party business. And, oh. and therefore it's it's like something you're doing for fun, even though obviously they basically have to go, especially if they're in the cabinet. Right. So yeah, it's, a lot of them are really pissed off about it. Uh, Katy Perry wrote this brilliant thing in the Times uh, just the week before the Tory party conference. Katy Perry? Yeah, no. What? Sadly, no. <laughs> I don't think Katy Perry's been to the Conservative Party conference in Manchester. Katy Perry, who is uh, Theresa May's ex-spin doctor, who, uh. who got the boot uh, because uh, the Conservatives didn't do, the didn't best spin job, do that well. It's- <laughs> Um, it's difficult. I mean, the raw materials are hard. Um, but anyway, she wrote a, a brilliant piece about how all of the cabinet really resent party conference season because they have to pay for the best hotel room right there. They have no choice but to be there. It's exhausting going to meet all of the different lobbyists and whatever that they have to, and they have to pay for it as well. They'd much rather not go. They can't claim it back. So that comes out of their personal allowance. In terms of other people who pay to go to, to uh, party conferences, members of the party, Ben. Hard as it may be to believe, there are people out there who volunteer and pay to join political parties because mm. they actually do mean it. <laughs> and so for them, it is like going to Glastonbury. How it's much, like they, a how much do they cost? Well, it depends because obviously you can get subsidised tickets if you're a student or an OAP or mm-hmm. if you're a member of an affiliated union or whatever. Is there yeah. a VIP ticket where you get to go and hang out with like famous Tories? Um, I think there are at fringe events, yes. Right. Um, sort of extra dinners that cost money because so-and-so is going to be there. Um, so it, basically, there's a huge spectrum. I think you can get tickets for the Labour Party conference for as little as about thirty pounds. Well, that's and good. Probably, is, I that, think... is that a standing ticket though? So <laughs> I get the Shakespeare's Globe. Um, <laughs> that's, that's cheaper than a show at the Roundhouse, isn't it? Yeah, but the same deal. Just because it's the Labour Party, same deal applies. If you want to go and see a dinner where you know whoever Diane Abbott that you're very excited to see is giving a speech, that will cost hundred quid. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the Tories you can get one for about fifty quid, but they go all the oh, way okay. up to like thousands because if you're a lobbyist and you're there to represent you know so let's say you're in the um campaign for podcast equality helen yes of course you want to go and talk to the culture secretary about how i don't know podcasts deserve a slice of the license fee or whatever uh you would be expected <laughs> to pay that you just come <laughs> off the top of your head <laughs> see you next year at the tory party conference everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus you would be expected to pay a couple of grand to have a stand in the hall right which is sort of supposedly for all the delegates but really that's just to facilitate your one conversation with karen bradley because it's important but presumably Mm. that's the case if you have a stand at the kind of conferences i go to where they're audio conferences and you have a stand because you're selling a type of microphone or exactly an online thingamy yeah it is difficult to get your head because we're so cynical in an ingrained way about politicians in this country but there are people out there for whom it is genuinely exciting to to be in the same room as Pretty Patel. You know what I mean? They are excited to go and watch T 
Tim Farron give a speech. And that's that's they're happy to pay money to do that. If you really wanted to see Tim Farron do a speech, you had a pretty brief window of opportunity for that, didn't you? You did, yes, exactly. That's why tickets are so expensive. The reason that they were in seaside towns originally, though, the party mm-hmm. conferences, was... This is Brighton and Blackpool and Bournemouth. Exactly. Right? It's all the bees. All the bees. Uh, was essentially for cheaper accommodation for the delegates right so there was there was an understanding amongst the political parties that if you're giving up your weekend and some of them go on for a week yeah um then you're taking time off work you've paid to join the party you're going to support the party so the reason they put it in sorry listeners in blackpool and bournemouth and stuff but slightly dilapidated seaside towns was the hotel rooms are cheaper um, and actually, it's only in the last few years that they've started going to places like Manchester and Birmingham, which are easily accessible from London, mm. and they have shiny new Marriotts. Do you think that's because the business of conferences has expanded a lot? You have a lot more conferences and conventions now, so you have more facilities for those. You have more new hotels and whatnot. No, I think it might be because the purpose has shifted to just being a way of showing the media that you're making an announcement. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't mm. actually matter what happens really on the floor of the conference. It's just about how is it reported on the 10 o'clock news. Because from the from the party's points of view, there are so few opportunities now as they see it to reach the public with an unfiltered message. You know, there's there's the internet, of course, but on telly, there's only party political broadcasts. Everything else, they get challenged a lot and they have to take part in debates. You know, whereas at least at the party political conferences they have a week which is their week the media will report on what they want to put out and show clips of their speeches as they want to say it so to them that whole thing is just like a publicity opportunity basically which is why it's not a good idea when the letters fall off the wall behind you whilst you're talking about building the country (laughs) that was so good it would seem too broad if you put it in a sitcom i know i know Uh. i didn't even know that you could get signs anymore that are affixed to the wall like, I just thought it would be a screen now. What, a projector yeah, or something? Yeah, 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 like letters you put in the wall, like at play school. I didn't know that was I mean, still remember, a thing. it wasn't so long ago when the Labour Party literally etched their promises into stone. <laughs> yeah. If you've got a question, then email your question. If you've got a question, then email your question. Here's a question from David from Bristol, who says, This local oldie-type pub around the corner from my workplace, oldie as in ye oldie, yeah, rather than... Yeah, the end. Yeah, older, mm. rather than for oldies, rather than an over-60s pub. Thanks for clarifying a yeah. thing that no one listening ever wondered about. This local old-type <laughs> pub around the corner from my workplace has a chalkboard sign placed on the main road saying that it is, quote, one of the oldest pubs in Pool. One of the. Close quote. Pool's got a lot of old pubs, hasn't it? Another claim is that it is, inverted commas, haunted. Yes. Ooh. David supplied photographic evidence. I can indeed say that on the day that Google Maps photographed the pub, at least, there was a chalk sign outside claiming that it is both one of the oldest pubs in Pool and that it is, quote, haunted. Does it include the quotation marks on the actual it sign? It doesn't, crucially. Okay, so David is quoting the sign. The sign itself is not getting itself out of the veracity of these claims by putting them in inverted commas. No. Okay. David says, The sign started me thinking about the legal implications of trading on claims such as these. Obviously, there are thousands of places that make such claims, but, Ollie, answer me this. What's to stop me going into the pub, 
and requesting that the said ghost or ghosts in residence make an appearance for me under the Trade Descriptions Act. Well, common sense, I would argue. Have there ever been any legal challenges that have gone to court in relation (laughs) to things ghostly? Uh, Okay, so in relation to things ghostly, yes, there have. (gasps) Wow. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Is it, I went to see the woman in black and I don't think it was a real ghost on stage. <laughs> Spoilers. But in terms of haunted pubs, I can't find <laughs> any legal contestation, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many haunted pubs out there, and yes, I'm using quotation marks, you just can't see them because this is audio, that it's pretty accepted that, obviously, by anyone sensible, A, this is horseshit done for publicity, Mm. B, it's a good story, even if it's not true, isn't it? And it hints at the fact that the pub's been around for ages, that at some point someone might have died in the building, that's usually why people say it's haunted, so it is an interesting story to hear about when you go. And C, pubs are suffering at the moment, Mm. you know, closing many each week. Mm. Um, Whereas if you're a haunted pub, I mean, there was one that was on the front of the Daily Star for three consecutive days um, because there had been sightings of the black eyed child. Uh, This is the uh, Four Crosses Inn in Cannock. Um, Oh! Is that in Staffordshire? That's, that's, that's in the Midlands. Midlands. Yeah. Right. That's where yeah. Tiffany lives. Yeah, no, I identified from the quality of the ooh, why um, he did it. Uh, but a child shouldn't be in a pub unless it's a family-friendly pub. So they could just make it an over-18s pub and the, the black-eyed child would have to go. Technically, the child would be several hundred years old, wouldn't it? It's like Casper the Friendly Ghost, isn't it? Mm. Could Casper get served? Casper could get served. He's hundreds <laughs> of years old. Um, did he have ID? <laughs> anyway, the point is, if you read that article, because it is still online, you'll see that it mentions six paragraphs in that that pub at the time of the writing of the article was actually on the market so the publicans were trying to sell the pub for 325 grand and it's a good story isn't it and almost always when you read through the small print there's an event happening that they're trying to publicize or they're trying to sell the building itself um and it's it you know it, it differentiates your pub from other pubs to say that it's haunted another famous one is ye oldie man and size in bolton which is the one that had that viral video where you could apparently see the landlord who'd been hanged or been executed outside the pub in 1651 you could apparently see him on the security footage coming back in the middle of the night uh, but again when you read the detail of of the timing of that getting into the news mm-hmm. uh, it was when a chinese artist claimed to have bottled him and put him on display in manchester so again came to have bottled the ghost yes so just sort okay. of publicizing the art gallery really and the pub at the same time interesting that's so, an unusual crossover also would the law have some kind of rubric for what constituted haunted or would it be the kind of thing whereby if the pub is offering it it can say well we can't guarantee that you see a ghost that's not how haunting works and if you're the kind of person that believes you could see a ghost you would understand that's not how haunting works Mm, and the law would just be like obviously we're not going to get into this shit so it depends whether it's made up doesn't it like if someone actually like died in the pub yes then you could say it's haunted by the spectre of someone having died in the pub and you know the ghost story is just a way of talking about the history whereas well, if you just made it made it up and you go, oh there's someone was beheaded in this pub it's like that probably didn't happen also there's a high chance that someone died on the site of pretty much anywhere yeah particularly in britain it's densely populated someone probably dies in a weatherspoons every day but i mean they don't <laughs> advertise those as being haunted do they? haunted weatherspoons <laughs> haunted by the ghost of ted who came here every morning at 11 o'clock for a gin and tonic wednesday night is a two for one funeral <laughs> night <laughs> in terms of the advertising standards authority though because that's who you'd appeal to if mm-hmm. the pub is making misleading claims as far as i can tell and i've looked through probably 10 or 11 articles about the asa getting involved in ghosts the only time that it's ever successful is essentially 
when you make children cry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the ASA have well, intervened. Your children crying or your money back. <laughs> so it's not about the, the proving or otherwise of ghosts. Mm-hmm. The ASA have intervened only on these kind of matters if the image that you use to accompany your claim is so scary that right. six-year-olds cry when they walk past your poster. And wow. that's happened a few times for things like Fright Nights, uh-huh. you know, where you've got a picture of an actor with, like, blood dripping down their face or whatever. Okay. If enough people complain and say, you've really disturbed my child, then the ASA will censor the poster, but not the claim that it's a haunted evening or a haunted disco or a because ha- it's, it's taken as read that that's a bit of fun uh, and mm. not something that you can actually sue about. However... <laughs> Outside of the ASA world, there have been quite a few examples of people suing uh, around things not being haunted when it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So um, there was, in America, of course, uh, an instance of the owner of a building successfully suing someone else for saying that their building was haunted when it wasn't. So this is the Ah. owner of a property. Prove it. Prove it's not. (laughs) Mm. The owner of a property called Staley Mill in Columbus, Ohio, an old windmill like Jonathan Creek lives in, but American. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so she... old yeah, exactly. 70s yeah. <laughs> exactly Nothing. probably not that old is there a mini golf course running through it <laughs> uh, she sued because a website operator claimed that her mill was haunted and then as a result loads of paranormal chaser type weirdos showed up mm. and wrecked the place okay so you know trying to exorcise the demons and all this shit mm-hmm. and it was her house so she successfully sued, but really that was for damages of the property. Yeah. So she got $125,000. So it wasn't really about the claim so much, but it was thanks to the claim being erroneous and without her permission that she was able to sue for damages to the property. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, there's also an example in the UK of someone suing because there are ghosts, but they lost. Um, so this was a couple from Derbyshire who bought a house in the 90s, or at least they, they exchanged on the house but refused to complete when they found out that the agents had not disclosed the existence of a pig-faced boy with fiery red eyes. <laughs> oh, wow. That wasn't on the particulars, unsurprisingly. Oh. Um, so the agents then sued the couple for not completing, but the couple did lose because the judge was like, it doesn't matter whether you were told about a pig-faced boy or not, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you seen this uh, potential lawsuit over the uh, Conjuring as well? No. So you know the Warner Brothers movie The Conjuring. Which it one is fun. it? Because uh, I'm now really mixed up between all of the various different eerie films. Like there's the, the one with the doll, the sequel with the doll. That's the Annabelle, the I doll? think. Oh, okay. Not Child's Play. The, no, no. There's the, a recent doll. Yes, there? recent doll. Right. Apparently very scary. Uh, well, The Conjuring is the one that's supposedly set on the true life story of the Warrens, who are a couple of paranormal chasers. Are they both called Warren? They are, yes. The Warrens is the surname. The Warrens in the 1970s went round hunting ghosts, but not in a fun way like the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a... It's classified as a non-fiction novel. What? I know. A no- mm. Excuse me, break down. <laughs> a non-fiction novel... Well, basically, narrative nonfiction. In the 70s, they contacted a novelist called Gerard Brittle and they said, We would like you to write our memoirs. Mm. And they collaborated on, you know, an autobiography, well, a biography, I suppose, because it was written by a third party. But it's written like a novel because he's a novelist. Okay. So it's it's fictionalized. Exactly. They they claim it's fictionalized reality based on their life story. Exactly. Now, he, as the novelist who wrote the nonfiction novel, maintained rights on those stories which is based on the warren's life story which warner brothers did not buy so warner brothers did not buy the rights to the book 
then made a series of films that's made over $900 million in revenues Mm. and claimed that those films were not based upon the books which are the sole documentation of the hauntings, (laughs) but instead based upon historical facts because uh, it's the Warren's life story and he doesn't own the rights to their life story. Right. Right. So if if these things are real facts, then you you, you can't have created them, so he has no intellectual property rights. So the issue that they're now in is that Warner Brothers are now in a position, and they might win because they've got lots of money, but they're now in a position where they are going to have to defend in court that uh, there were ghosts. a witch existed at a farmhouse. She hanged herself. There was satanic worship and child sacrifice happening there. Jesus. And Do there is no were... documentation for that apart from the novel on which they claim it isn't based. The non-fiction novel. The non-fiction novel. This is probably why the film and TV rights are being bought up for a lot of podcasts because mm. even though they didn't invent the factual information that they're portraying, it's kind of easier to just buy it that's probably cheaper than a lawsuit later on if yes. they then follow the same narrative structure or yeah, whatever yeah exactly yeah, and then and the yet, fact checking and things like that and, and yet yeah. Columbia TriStar have not been on the phone to get no. on to me this we've spoken about many things over the last 11 years oh. give, it, give it time Ollie any, long enough time how much film, more time almost any film that comes out we've talked about it first what was that banana that someone's mum used to make that looked like a bell end Oh, the candlelight salad. Yeah, I want someone to make candlelight salad the movie and <laughs> and pay us for the rights for that. This, I'm going to have to look this up. That, that would be a really fun Christmas caper where you go home for Christmas. So it's already awkward in that comedic way, and then yeah. your mum brings out this salad that looks like a cock. Yeah, no reason why that couldn't be a good film. So is that thing that looks like a bell end meant to be the flame? Yes. And that, Martin's looking at pictures. He's now. looking at the pictures. And we, the stuff that's meant to be example, Martin, just, something we've discussed on the podcast. I've just twice forgotten. D- just to recap, a twice. It's, it's okay. A, the candle is played by a banana. Yeah. It is set into a pineapple ring, and it has to make a, it vertical. And it has a glassy cherry flame atop. And it has they a paint. sort of trail of cream running yes. down yes. the. the, the <laughs> that, what I'm going to describe. I'm going to describe as the shaft. <laughs> like I say, one of my favourite moments from the podcast over the last decade. Yeah. Make it a film, folks. Had I forgotten about this? And now also, you can sell the film rights of us talking about the film rights legal row about of the, the conjuring. conjuring yes and then yeah exactly and then you could base the next conjuring movie on this discussion rather than the non-fiction novel or the historical yeah. events and then you wouldn't have to pay anything the silicon roundabout's my favorite place to become a webpreneur would be really ace like that awesome guy tom who was my first friend on myspace we haven't kept in touch Get your foot on the ladder to online success Through Squarespace build a site and get a free web address Then hang around East London until you get hired in the US Mountain View is calling, Google have free buffet Thank you Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This Yes, you're sounding very husky when you yeah, say that Yeah, I've you... gone Kathleen Turner you Squarespace <laughs> You like Squarespace so much I do You've I've... turned into a sex kitten about it <laughs> Have I? I'm not sure I'd go no, that No, just I... haven't got a lozenge <laughs> Squarespace, do you do lozenges? <laughs> they don't I, I bet if you did you'd make my throat a much clearer place As uh, your templates make websites much clearer They certainly do, yeah If you've never used Squarespace before Well you might have done inadvertently You might have just stumbled across a really beautiful designed website and thought god this is user friendly how look at this glorious white space look at how the images don't look out of whack on all my different devices look how accessible the sidebar is Um, but Mm. you may not have realized that that is in fact a squarespace template uh which if you're someone who wants your own website could certainly benefit you as it does us over at answermethisstore.com they have dozens of award-winning templates for you to choose from and they they make it so that when you look at the version on mobile Suddenly it all works just as easy as on yeah, desktop. So the you same. can click the little button in the co- top right-hand corner and you get the drop-down menu. 
Seamless. And the same on tablets as well. Yeah. But when you're building that website, you don't have to think, is this going to work on mobile? Is it? I don't want to have to think about that. You don't have to have that nagging feeling. Squarespace is having that nagging feeling on your behalf. You've lost that nagging feeling now. It's gone, (laughs) gone, gone. (laughs) So if you want to design your own website using Squarespace, well, the good news is you get a two-week free trial. And then if you want to sign up, you get 10% off your purchase of a website or domain if you use the code ANSWER. Here's a question from an anonymous person Mm -hmm. who says, In a few weeks, I'll be attending the wedding of a friend who I've known since we were at school together in the 90s. Okay. My girlfriend and I received a fairly standard wedding invitation in the post with a link to a John Lewis wedding list. So far, so standard. That's what I want from my wedding invitations. Conformity. (laughs) Standardisation. However, there was also an inserted card containing a link to an alternative not safe for work wedding list. With grave misgivings, I clicked the link and my worst fears were confirmed. The link led to an online purveyor of adult goods. Mm. They sell uh, 12 packs of Civil War videos. (laughs) I'm not talking mildly naughty novelty items like edible knickers and massage oil. I'm talking every type of huge dildo or vibrator under the sun, gnarly butt plugs, cock rings, speculums, prostate massages, and all manner of bondage paraphernalia of the most brutal kind imaginable. I imagine that they don't think they're going to get all those items, though. But if you're asking... Go for it, right? It's my wedding list. <laughs> I should really push the boat out. Wedding lists are usually so boring. Yeah. If usually the best case scenario is you get to buy somebody napkins that aren't cream, mm. this is great. Agree. But Ollie, answer me this. Am I getting prudish in my old age? Is it now completely normal to expect your guests to buy you this sort of stuff for your wedding? A few additional notes. Mm -hmm. While most of our mutual friends received a link to this list, there is at least one, a school friend who is now a priest, who who received their invitation minus the NSFW link. Yeah, that really is NSF, his particular place of W. So we assume that all the grandparents, aunties and uncles will have also been spared the horror. Mm. Oh, come on, it's not a horror. So I think it's right that they've shown some distinction. And actually, that plays to another reason why this is all right, yeah. I think. you know, okay. They've just sent it to their relatively saucy and accepting friends. Yeah. Mm. Maybe they've just misjudged you. The other caveat is we know the grooming question well enough to know that the link wasn't sent for lols. Well, no, you don't want a truckload of dildos unless you're going to use them. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just going to go that to That saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think... It's great to actually be able to buy somebody something for their wedding that they genuinely want. Because so often you feel like people are like, well, I guess we should get some nice champagne flutes, but Mm. could live without them. I do think, though, in reality, if any of my actual friends who I know well, if your wedding list included vibrators and dildos... I would not buy you one, and I would find it a bit weird that you'd sent it. Is is that because I'm a massive square, though? Because Anonymous is saying, I know the groom well enough to know that this wasn't a laugh. Mm. So yeah. maybe this couple is much more open about their sexuality than I am. But for me, you would find it unusual that I would mention anything like this at all. I mean, as you were talking, I was just thinking about the, the other lady that I podcast with who answers questions, which yes. is Alex Fox, who answers yeah. sex questions on The Modern Man. That'd be totally on brand. If she wanted, like, a really great dildo as a wedding yeah. present, you'd be like, absolutely. Yes, you're right. I wouldn't think it was at all weird if Alex Fox gets married that her wedding list, because she talks about it all the time, yeah. is all the all her favourite vibrators and dildos that she's used over the last 10 years. Well, just better versions of those, because you might think, well, I wouldn't buy a 
thousand pound dildo for myself but this is treat time fine but i wasn't thinking necessarily of just you when i thought i was thinking about all my friends so it's mm. not that you're a massive square yes okay i you've, am a massive got, square. fine so you've got zaltzman on one end of the scale and fox on the other but it's all the 50 shades of gray pardon the pun in between isn't it i think it's harder the other way around because i think when you look, look at wedding gifts you go oh yeah ollie bought me that that champagne flute mm. i'm not thinking that's a nice champagne flute mm. and i just wouldn't want to be going into my store cup and going oh mm. ollie got me that dildo who should we, we fuck like with that? tonight yeah <laughs> <laughs> we I mean, use the Dan I mean, butt plug. So maybe that, that's another inhibition that you have to get over of like, yeah, sure, I remember that Ollie bought me that dildo, but I'm still going to enjoy sex with it. Mm. I bought my friends Alex and Jen a hedgehog run off their wedding this last year. <laughs> now I'm wondering what that really is. <laughs> yeah, maybe everyone else's wedding lists are actually just euphemistic names. I think maybe it is always a risk to go off piece with the wedding list, which is maybe why... Most wedding lists are boring items that people who've cohabited don't really need. Hmm. Because when you go for something a little more um, unusual, then people get judgmental. So my friends Alex and Nick had seen this glass sculpture that they really loved. Mm -hmm. And for the wedding list, you could contribute different amounts. And they'd made it fun. So um, we contributed like the hat brim because the sculpture was, I think it was a clown with a bird on its hat. It was a brightly coloured glass sculpture. And they said... This is what we've gone for, and all of our friends have told us that they hate it. Mm. How um, much did they need to raise to buy the sculpture? It was a lot. Roughly. I th- I th- thousands. Thousands, yeah. I think they topped yeah, it you up. You do get end. judgmental, don't you? Whereas when it's someone's honeymoon fund, you don't get judgmental because you think, well, that's their opportunity to go to a five star hotel in the Caribbean and spend yeah. money or something. Oh, where are you need. going? Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. You contribute that's the nice. same amount as yeah. you would to a present. Yeah. Even though it is just for someone to spiff away some money. I, I love the honeymoon fund option. Happy with it. Yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. Except the, the the clown sculpture option is, you know, it's just as indulgent. It just seems less necessary. I think, Even though actually it'll last, you know, for the whole of their marriage. No, well, it's glass. It's breakable. Sure. Mm. If they have a War of the Roses style fight, then it might be the someone first to go. stumbles <laughs> into the coffee table. But I think they were just a bit upset that their friends didn't love the sculpture as much as they did. I think this sex trend generally in marriages... The trend of people having sex (laughs) during marriage. Well, actually, no. Genuinely, the the trend for people being more explicit about the fact that part of a union between two people is sexual... I don't know if you saw this story, it was a few weeks ago, of a couple who simulated a sex act as the son had it, (laughs) but in actual fact just pretended that uh, the lady was uh, giving a blowjob to the gentleman in their wedding outfits as part of their official wedding photos. Oh, Did you wow. see that? No. It was, and it was kind of funny. So I thought it was funny. I looked into it, and as far as I can tell, another couple, a Dutch couple, of course, they had started this trend mm-hmm. um, a couple of months ago, but in their photo, it was spontaneous. So they were doing fun wedding photos. They'd got a vintage truck, and they did a photo where it looked like they were banging in the truck, but you could just see their feet hanging out right. the truck. And their mother-in-law, apparently the bride's mum, had said, do one where you suck him off, which is weird, but they're Dutch. <laughs> um, So they thought it was funny So they spontaneously just did a photo Where all that happened is the husband uh, The groom dropped his trousers He still had his boxers on Mm. And the lady administered from the front uh, A simulated blowjob And the picture was taken from behind Right. So it's a bit shocking But it's part of a series of novelty photos Uh, Wedding novelty memes Those (laughs) set me up Like when it was the record scratch And you start doing a dance to Baby Got Back Oh yeah that stopped Instead of a slow waltz to Sandy beach photos What do you mean sandy beach photos? Like like women in their wedding dresses like getting all muck on them oh yeah destroy the dress or yeah. whatever it's called yeah, that yeah, meme yeah. yeah so anyway so this photo went viral the dutch couple and then i guess that must be what the british couple had seen that did it in Rhodes. they got married in Rhodes. except mm-hmm. where they misjudged it is a 
he took his pants down as well. Right. So you are looking at his ass, and yes, they're simulating him being sucked off, but all that's missing for him to actually be being sucked off in that picture is an erection. Right, so that would count as soft porn. And B, they did it on the place where they got married, mm. which was a monastery. Oh! Um. So the, mm. the uh, Bishop of Rhodes then actually banned any foreigners getting married at the monastery at all. So uh, there's currently a fight now between all of the people who were due to have their weddings uh, in this monastery in uh, Rhodes who spent thousands bringing their family over and the bishop. But anyway, the trend's clear. People are sexualizing their wedding photos. So it's not just wedding two business. Two people. Well, two couples. And then one of the couples has had such huge repercussions that that may not happen again. That may, maybe, maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that's ended it. That's the backlash. Maybe. It's over. If you don't even know what a question is then you're probably at the wrong place Cos religion's on godcasts Dogs are on dogcasts Fish are on rodcasts But we don't do fish Cos on this podcast You answer me this This episode of Answer Me This is sponsored by our friends at First Direct. Yes, they were the first bank that got rid of high street branches and opening hours because they were like, you know what? Don't need that. Be available to our customers 24-7. Digital world, mate, isn't it? You might want to do your banking at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm often lying awake thinking, oh God, I need to sort out my finances. But also in the <laughs> they middle They can't of... help with anxiety. No, it's just... It just help <laughs> you move money. But if I got on the phone to First Direct, then maybe they would be like, they're there. It's going to be all right. Yes. This is doable. That's this is right. manageable. I spoke to a friend of mine, actually, who banks with First Direct. I know this not because we have conversations about banking in real life, but because <laughs> we were splitting a bill and he put his credit card down on the table and it was one of the pretty First Direct ones. And I said, oh, you bank with them because they're sponsoring our show at the moment and he says oh yeah i've done it for years this guy's a technology journalist oh yeah so he he knows his he knows his bank. websites loves the website but actually it wasn't because of their website uh-huh. he said i've been doing it for years and the reason is you can't he, he's also an insomniac <laughs> <laughs> he said the reason is i can call at one o'clock in the morning and speak to a real person about my bank account and he said that's the most valuable thing you can find out more about first direct at firstdirect.com and First Direct have sent us, Helen, a question of finance. Oh, yes. Because this is our area of expertise. Because we know more about it than they do. <laughs> <Clearly>. <laughs> and it's this, Helen. Answer me this. Mm-hmm. How do I reach my financial goals without missing out? Do you mean without missing out on life experiences? That's, a, mm. that's mm. an interesting question. Yeah. How can I save for a mortgage and go and watch Bruce Springsteen in concert? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know how this feels because I was earning very very little for most of my 20s and a lot of my 30s never guessed that you'd make your fortune through podcasting did you (laughs) no absolutely not and to be honest i think i did miss out what did you miss helen well let's make this therapy i missed being able to afford to leave the house and get on a tube or a bus so seriously did you used to what was the answer then walk uh stealing change from martin (laughs) (laughs) however i didn't miss most of the stuff i couldn't have so i say missing out i think i didn't feel like i was missing out on things like holidays because the way that I was raised, we didn't have much spare cash. And I would try and uh, coach yourself into the mindset of not wanting things that you can't have because it's much easier to be content that way. Although try and keep some ambition. However, <laughs> there are other ways in which you can have a fun time just on the cheap. So I used to have friends around a lot. Mm. So I got social fun. I don't drink. But even if I had drunk, they would always bring booze with them. So if you can't afford booze, get your friends around, cook them a meal, which can be cheap stuff. Like I did a lot of roast vegetable based things with vegetables I got from the market or a cheap local shop or something. And as long as people are having a fun time with the fun company, the food doesn't have to be... Uh, Super fancy. fancy. No, exactly. I think just having a welcoming, hosty attitude covers for a lot of luxury. Also, there is often a lot of free stuff happening 
in different towns, isn't there? There'll mm. be like exhibitions mm. or sometimes film festivals and things like that where they have free screenings mm. or even weird receptions where you can sneak in and eat other people's canopies. Well, museums are free in this country, aren't they, generally? Very, Not very them, lucky But a lot way. of them are, yeah. Mm. A lot of them are. So you learn. Enrich yeah, your brain or at least whilst s- your friends are out watching things that cost money. Sit out of the rain. Yeah. Even in terms of paid experiences, though, there are ways of raising the money just from the detritus of modern life. Uh, and I'm oh, thinking yeah. here of eBay. Oh, I mean, yeah. Because at mm. the moment, I'm, so we're having our house extension built at the moment. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on how you save for one of those. Uh. Um, and, um, as a result of that happening, I've had to clear a lot of space because the garage is where we used to store everything that we sort of didn't oh. want to throw away but didn't really need. And that was your Costco space. It was my Costco space. My Costco, you make it sound like you, my safe space. Are you extending your house so you've got a two-story Costco space? Essentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it means that, you know, at the moment, because we haven't got the extension built, they've just destroyed what was there. Everything that was in the garage, so 10 years worth of toilet roll, that has now had to move into the house. And included in that are things that I've thought, you know what, I don't need. Mm. So, for example, um, my dad's Chesterfield sofa. Mm. It's nice. I don't have space in the house for a Chesterfield sofa. Do you want to play, do you want to play a guess and get, guess how much these things went for, right? All right. Chesterfield, how much? Have you seen it? It's slightly knackered. The cushions are broken. Is it leather? It is leather, yeah. It's real leather. Uh, two or three seat? It's two seat. Okay. Battered seats, though. I mean, knackered. Mm-hmm. It's an inconvenience, isn't it? Because someone's got to get a van to pick a exactly, sofa up. Yes. Um, in a sense, they're paying you just to come and take it away. Yeah. So I think you could probably get more for a smaller piece of furniture like a chair. So I'm going to say maybe 70 quid. Martin? 300 quid. Oh, you, it was actually right in the middle. Oh. 200. 200 pounds. Oh. That was my sofa. first guess. And then I second guessed myself. Went too low. Idiot. HTC One M8. How much? What's, What's that? It's the <laughs> phone. It's yeah. It's their premium smartphone from three years ago. Uh, so equivalent to like a Galaxy Note Six or so. Hundred and twenty-nine. Sixty pounds. It was the absolute top end one, mm. um, like maximum storage and stuff. But I haven't told you. I, I should now qualify. Was it screen cracked? Scratched camera lens, uh, which actually makes the pictures look really beautiful, like an Instagram filter. But you know, uh, you can't choose not to have the weird light coming through it. Okay, I'm going to revise down. Gives everyone a halo. How much? Ninety. Forty. 30. Yeah. Yeah. I was disappointed by that. Three-year-old I'm, smartphone. I'm really good at this game. You could be on the prices right, Martin. <laughs> okay, finally, iPod Classic. Oh, I'd love oh, one of them. I bet that's got retro value. Actually, it had every single episode of Answer Me This on it. <laughs> and and I, when, that, that doubled the value. I did wonder to myself, I did wipe it before I sent it out, yeah. but I did wonder, would that increase the value or make it worse? I don't know. How, how, up to which episode? Uh, uh, up to about 180, actually, okay. and then I haven't seen it. Okay, so that, that sort of locates it in time. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's like a 2011 model. Uh, what colour? Uh, white, but again, maximum storage. Things 160 gig. Intact? Intact, good quality, yes. But can't go on the internet, you know, uh, pre-Wi-Fi. So you have to sync it with a cable with iTunes, and 60, it's the old cable. 70? Very close, 80. Uh. So I was pleased with that. Anyway, point being, even if you think you don't have much you know around you that's worth much as it turns out people will pay for any old stuff and also i think the point we're making is that uh you should separate your sense of things that are meaningful enjoyable from material things yes, and exactly. so you can still enjoy yourself even if well, you feel like well that's easier said than done that's the god of every <laughs> i did do it the goal of every buddhist master well i think <laughs> I, I, look how buddhist i am i think there was a, also when i was younger i definitely felt that it was quite important not to only be able to have fun if you were spending money. Yeah, if you've ever been a student, you probably uh, learnt the art of having fun without that much money. And I think it's fine to continue that into later adulthood. One final idea, yes. and this is from my own experience, you know, doing this crazy job that we do. Uh-huh. It's it's financially unpredictable. Claim to be an influencer. 
Like seriously, oh, it's not no. that difficult. No, like, there's no price high enough for what that does to your soul. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's astonishing, isn't it, that you can build up an audience on Instagram these days and then sell that space? Because it's been six years now since I reviewed films for free for Ian Dale's now defunct rival to the Huffington Post. Oh. And yet still, I get emails inviting me to screenings of films. Now, I'm nobody. Like, no one cares Mm. what I think about films, and no one really has noticed that I did or then stopped being a film critic. Yes, it's like I keep getting sent free books. I haven't reviewed a book professionally since 2013. Yeah, Yeah, I I get sent uh, information about bioengineering conferences. (laughs) (laughs) But if you are missing out on cultural events, just blog about a few of them and then apply for a press pass... People, if they don't understand enough about the world, will just assume that you're an influencer. And then once you're on the list, you get loads of stuff for free. This is actually a really good tip. Yeah, the problem is you can't bring your friends, really. You have to have a certain blagging mindset and personality Possibly, there, I think yes. so. And you have to be available at three in the afternoon to go to Soho to watch a film, which in itself costs money and the film is probably rubbish. Like Cars 2. I got a free ticket to watch Cars 2. Not worth Ooh. it. But free. Yeah, still not worth it. Yeah, but think of all the money you were saving whilst you were at Cars 2. It was a nice room to sleep in. It was very comfortable. Not spending money at that time. Yes, red leather seats on Darby Street and I got to sit next to Mark Kermode. Free drinks? Cool. Uh, yes, I think they were probably free soft drinks. Okay. Yeah, sometimes there's free beers. This is a great record. Pretend to be a film critic. <laughs> That's my tip. <laughs> Cha-ching! <laughs> I'm an answer me this fan I listen with my nan She is not so keen She finds it too obscene I follow them on Twitter Though Ashton Kutcher's fitter I want to take things further Just one step short of murder I want to look like Ali Man I want to smell like Ali Man I want to be like Ali Man I want to chase like Ali Man I want to look like Ali Man I want to talk like Here is a question from Jake, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Is the grass in the centre of Leicester Square a park? My deluded girlfriend and I nearly break up every time we discuss the matter. Please help. Every time, Ollie. Every time. I mean, how often does this come up in your relationship? Once or twice a day? In every relationship, it comes up at least twice a day. You used to work in Leicester Square. so Twice. Two different careers. Once as a ticket operator for Ticketmaster, once as a presenter on LBC. So... Stands I've to seen reason. both sides of the square. And yet, how often do you have this conversation <laughs> about whether it's a park? What constitutes a park? So, okay. I mean, let me just answer the question quickly to put Jake out of his misery, although he hasn't told us which side he falls down on or indeed what the other options are. Well, he's just said that his girlfriend's deluded. Yes, but does that mean that she thinks it is something else or that she thinks it is the park? We I reckon. Know. I reckon she would th- therefore think it's a park and he's like, it can't be a park, it's too small to be a park, small. it's full of stuff. Okay. You're kind of both right, but she's more right, if that's the case. Because, yes, it is on the list of parks managed by the city of Westminster. So it comes under the parks management team. Okay. There's a list of parks. It's one of them. However, if your debate is whether it is a park or a gardens, Mm -hmm. it is both. You know, it's it's managed as a park, but it is a gardens. The official name for it is Leicester Square Gardens. So uh, as far as I can work out, all gardens in the city of Westminster are also parks. Yeah, public gardens of this kind. Right. So um, every square, even if it's like a residential square that is... If it's managed by the council, mm-hmm. it's a park, even if it's actually a garden. Okay. A garden is a type of park. A big leafy park is another type of park. So that's a managerial explanation for whether or not it's a park. But Gardens um... are a subgenre of park from a council perspective. Okay. And mm-hmm. from a human perspective, mm. 
emotionally. Mm, it's more a garden than a park, I agree. Okay. Mm, because mm-hmm. you couldn't really let a dog run free in it, could you? You couldn't no. really go and set up a barbecue there. Like so, mm, so, no. so for people, especially outside the UK, who haven't been to Leicester Square Gardens, it's right in the centre of London. I mean, it's essentially a pedestrian route from one side of a busy square to another yes. that includes some grass and a statue and a water yeah. fountain. But it's not really a park. It's somewhere you might go and have a sandwich or make a call if you work there. Uh, is there any grass in it anymore? Yes. Little yeah. bits. Well, sometimes there are fun fairs there, so that yes. ruins it all. Um, but yeah, during, during the summer, yeah, I'd say I wouldn't say healthy amount because it's got lots of chocolate wrappers squished into it. But yeah, they've recently um, rejigged it, haven't they? So it's got some quite uh, sculptural benches and stuff. It has bonus point if you remember who the statue in the middle is of. Oh God! Um, no, not it... him. <laughs> <laughs> is it of an old military commander? No. M- Martin, care to guess? It's a creative. Is it Cameron Macintosh? (laughs) No, but it should be someone like that. Lloyd Webber. No, in all seriousness, it's very close to theatre land. Uh It's where, you know, all the British film premieres are. So I think it should be someone like Hitchcock or Elizabeth Taylor. Or Hmm. Judi Dench. Exactly. Well, I think it should be someone dead. But it's Shakespeare. Now, I'm, I'm a Shakespeare fan. I don't think he'd be keen to be outside TGI Fridays. He was more of a South Bank guy anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Globe. Put him by yeah. the Globe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he's got plenty of other places. You don't walk in Leicester Square and think, aha, Eminem's yeah. world, Shakespeare. Should be Hitchcock. Right. You know, because he's mm. probably the most significant British influence on cinema for the last hundred years. Yeah, but then if you want to see a nice uh, Hitchcock-y tribute, then you have to go to Leytonstone Tube Station. Well, precisely. Mm. What's up with that? Stick it in Leicester Square. Or Chaplin. Not Chaplin, nothing wrong with Shakespeare, but Chaplin, it's memorialised enough. Chaplin born on the Walworth Road, and God knows they need some uh, some statues and stuff on there. Here's a question from Kirsty from Yorkshire, who says, "Helen, answer me this: Is cheesecake a cake?" Mm. I mean, before we get into the legalities of this, can I just say straight away, yes, it's called cheesecake. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, yes. But we'll, I'll, I'll entertain the debate, but basically, um, yes. We've had food semantic questions before, like what constitutes a salad, and that proved surprisingly complicated, and whether things like hot dogs and burgers are sandwiches. It's tricky, Oliver. Well, she says, my friends and myself are caught in a debate about this most serious of issues. I bet. I would argue that the biscuit base and creamy filling are insufficiently cake-like and would classify it as a tart if pushed, but really Mm. a dessert. But can it not be named a cake but be a dessert? Can we just qualify tart? I mean, I've never really thought what makes a tart now. Probably a thing which is mostly open on top and has a pastry or similar undercrust. I don't know quite what the ingredients are to cheesecake. Well... Kirsty says, the definition of cake that we found from HM Customs and Revenue, God, they've done quite a lot of our work for us, uh, was, quote, flour or egg-based food, which probably does exclude cheesecake, but includes lasagna. Is lasagna a cake? Oh, stop it. It's being silly. Isn't it? That is silly. Mm, yes, yes I bet it said more than this about what constitutes cake. I tried to look it up, but... Um, it came up with the whole Jaffa cake thing, like pages and pages about the Jaffa cake ruling. And I just, I can't go back there. We covered that before. Right, yeah. So what have you discovered with uh, moderate cake search on? Well, I think that Kirsty's definition of cakes are very limited. She's thinking a cake has to be a sponge cake, mm. that texture, th- that kind of look. However... Yeah, Kirsty, open your mind. A cake, in the Oxford Dictionary's definition, the noun, I mean, forget the verb for now. Right. Definition one, an item of soft sweet food made from a mixture of flour, fat, eggs, sugar and other ingredients, baked and sometimes iced or decorated. Definition two of cake, an item of savoury food formed into a flat round shape and typically baked or fried. So there you're thinking potato cake. 
Mm. Mm. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Definition 2.1, a flattish, compact mass of something, especially soap. So really, what? just mm, interesting. Ca- yeah, like a cake soap of cake. soap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. Yes. You're both saying it like it's a normal thing. Yes. Well, it's like it's a another. It's, a, it's sort of a synonym for a bar. The point is, a cake of something is a sort of disc-like, usually quite dense like, uh, formation, like a puck. Like a puck. So actually, a cake like we think, like a sponge cake, that's almost a subset of cake. So a soap cake, a potato cake, a sponge cake, and a mm. cheesecake, I'd say, are all subsets of just this idea of a cake being this disc that is shorter than it is wide so a cheesecake in the oxford dictionary's definition one a kind of rich sweet tart made with cream and soft cheese on a biscuit base two an informal mass noun images portraying women in a manner which emphasizes idealized or stereotypical sexual attractiveness what yes i'd never heard that she's a cheesecake never ever i can tell you something that might put everybody off cheesecakes right now there was an ancient Roman cheesecake called placenta, because placenta means flat cake. It's derived ah. from Greek, and placenta uterina was the uterine cake. So the placenta that a, a baby is attached to in the womb, yes. uh, that is another subset of cake. But to be clear, you're not saying that they ate placenta and baked it into a cheesecake you're saying i'm not saying they didn't either no <laughs> well that brings us to the end of the show but please do send us a question for future episodes you can email us you can call us on skype or phone you can email us a voice memo all our contact details are on our website answer me this also there you will find links to buy our classic content remember you can buy our first 200 episodes as well as our best ofs our albums and our apps at answer me this store.com yeah too early to suggest maybe answer me this christmas start working that into your playlist never too early no some people have been preparing for christmas since june especially well, if they work in retail they took a break for halloween and now it's christmas it's, it's basically christmas sorry so yeah. answer me this christmas is on there an hour of us talking about festive stuff yeah not just christmas other festivities that happen around the same time yes also links on there to follow us on social media facebook and twitter and mm. elsewhere on the internet you can find us talking in your ears as well ollie is at modern man with a double n dot co dot uk yes that is my weekly magazine show about sex and trends and amazing life stories martin is at songbysongpodcast.com i am but you can not only hear me talking but you can hear me singing this month because on november the third i'll have a new album out uh, which is called 10 things which aren't love it's got 12 tracks you have to figure out which are the 10 and which are the two uh you can get it on palebird.bandcamp.com and uh, you can find my show the illusionist at theillusionist.org Halfway through the month, we put out a retro episode of Answer Me This from behind the paywall, but with new commentary from our older selves reflecting upon our younger. And uh, Yes, so... there'll be another one of those along halfway through November. Indeed. And then we'll be back with all new Answer Me This, the last of the year, on the first Thursday of December. Bye! Bye. Bye.